Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. 12 minutes after 2 o'clock, there's a story that's been doing the rounds for a couple of weeks now. And we touched on it just, I think, once on this particular platform, um, on this show. And this is a story of sex education in schools. You've been hearing a lot about it. I just haven't done much about it because I kept thinking to myself, what is it that's new? that we're going to interrogate. The story was parents were up in arms about the fact that there was a sex education that was going to be introduced to learners, specifically, I think, grade fours. I think that was uh, the story that was going to what that was doing the rounds. And children were going to be taught about all kinds of things. And people were saying, where are the moral, where's the moral compass of their department, blah, blah, blah. My sense was, and when we spoke about this was, how can we interrogate something that we haven't seen? So are we against children being taught about sex education or are we outraged about actually something that we don't understand? And for me, there is no conversation unless we sit down with content in front of us to say, well, is this offensive? Is it not? I would gladly have somebody talk to my children about menstruation, for instance. That is reproductive education, is it not? Yes, it is. Why would I feel offended if that is part of the syllabus? So I just kept thinking to myself, what is going on? Then fast forward last week, I think on Friday last week, where the department released a statement saying they are sensing that there has been an orchestrated type communication that has gone around with fake news giving people and parents the sense that there is this massive thing that's coming and people must be alarmed and people must be afraid. Children are going to be taught about all sorts of other things. And I thought, hmm, that's very interesting. I am getting that sense too. However, I then came across an article which I thought, ah, there you go. That's what I did think it is. Dr. Haley McEwen, who is a PhD, um, has a PhD in sociology, and she says I mustn't read the whole thing, but she's a researcher in a nutshell at WITS, Center for Diversity Studies. She has come up with a theory about what actually is going on about this, I'm going to call it, misinformation. Haley, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Pamelo. Is it misinformation that parents are getting? At first, it definitely was misinformation. There was a WhatsApp message that included a bunch of images Mm. that had been going around. I'm not sure if you Mm -hmm. saw those images, which have now, it's been proven this is not part Mm. of the new content since now the department has actually released Mm. the content for all levels. Um, I did a search on those original images that came around, and they actually came from a book written in 1975. (gasps) by a Danish author, and it was called How to Make a Baby. And this book has been widely ridiculed online as like the most traumatizing children's book ever. It's kind of a joke. Um, So, I mean, I think looking at that, the original source of these images, we can see now that there was a clear attempt to circulate false information about what was going to be in these new materials. So, let's talk about why. Was this to get outrage? Was the attempt... Um, to get this kind of content because this content obviously it's outdated it's all these things that you know we just don't talk about these things was the was the reason this was the content used to get what outrage I absolutely I think so I mean I think we can't see any other kind of explanation because clearly it wasn't about telling the truth so then outrage would result in parents 
calling the department out and then stopping this from happening. Indeed, yeah. Okay, so then the question is, who would want to do that? Well, um, based on my doctoral research, so this is not my own personal theory, I think it's something that, um, you know, there's researchers who have been writing about the ways in which the U.S. Christian right has been internationalizing its agendas since the 1990s. Mm. Of course, the the U.S. Christian right, uh, which is comprised mainly of... You know, we think of it as the kind of anti-abortion yes. movement and the anti-gay yes. movement, right? Um, Centered around religion, essentially. Yes, correct? a conservative interpretation of Christian values, using Christian values um, to justify conservative ideology. Of course, um, you know, there's many contradictions in terms of how they position themselves yes. as Christians as well. Um, but they they emerged in the in the United States in the 1970s mm-hmm. and since the 1990s they've really been trying to push their agendas internationally and especially in spaces like the UN mm-hmm. um as there have been moves towards having more um recognition of sexual and reproductive health and ri- health rights at the UN uh women's rights you know the Beijing conventions all uh, Beijing Beijing convention um different UN conferences that have happened that have deliberately been trying to advance women's rights, women's reproductive agency, creating more inclusive definitions of the family, for example. Um, Mm. So as there have been these advances in the United Nations, the U.S. Christian right has really tried to block those. Not to be not to be confused with the UN US government policy. Correct, correct. It's a it's a very well resourced and powerful minority actually um, in the United States. And since the also late 1990s, they've kind of rebranded themselves as the so-called pro-family movement, mm. which brings together the anti-abortion and anti-gay mm. ideologies, and they've been trying to gain allies all over the world. It's important that we talk about how well-resourced they are, mm-hmm. because it's in the resource that you're able to wield your power, right? And I've heard civil society movements who say there are these, these communities that threaten to pull funding or can at least exert their power and what kind of funding we get because of the things that we're doing here, particularly in South Africa. I've heard this for the kind of work that people are doing in um, reproductive, um, yes. uh, you know, community uh, development kind of spaces, NGOs, where there is uh, a, especially a lot of work around um, sex workers where there is a threat that if you stop, if you do not stop this idea that prostitutes should have rights, we will influence what kind of donor funding you get. Absolutely. And um, I mean, another example is the conditions tied to U.S. aid, like mm-hmm. the global gag rule, yeah. that you are not allowed to be teaching people about you know, contraceptive use. Yes. You have to be teaching only about abstinence. You're yeah. not allowed to speak about contraception. Um, I'm I'm glad that we are able to pin, pinpoint this whole thing because knowing what we know now, I mean, our hope is for people to interrogate more. We also know that the content has been now released. And I think it's also way too early to discuss the content because this is in a pilot phase where they are testing the content. It's not going to happen next year. Your child in grade four will not be sitting with this in front of you. Let's talk about the content. What is the content? To be honest with you, I have just skimmed through the content when it was released, although... um 
I have colleagues and friends who are also involved in the development of the new lesson plans. Mm. And and what they, I know that the objective was, um, besides trying to make the materials more inclusive of gender and sexuality diversity, racial diversity, um, you know, representations of people with disabilities, for example. Mm. Um, and then also, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's really about trying to give children and, and kids and young adults the skills that they need to be able to navigate a society where there is a lot of sexual violence, mm. there is the issue of HIV and AIDS transmission, which is the highest amongst young women. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I think it was all in, as, in terms of what the government statements have said about the curriculum and, and the, the new, new lessons plans plans being developed is that it's really about trying to address these issues using the sex education curriculum to address these very complex um, challenges in the society. And for those who haven't seen this, the, the, the prototype, let's call it that, it's only because it's not hitting your school as as a taste case study or you know you're not in a you're not in a region where they're going to test out the material that's the reason you're not getting it but if you and th therefore you shouldn't be worried you shouldn't be worried because they haven't gotten the complete rollout yet of testing it out with different bodies and so on but my, from what i've seen i mean things like um how children react to patriarchy are some of the things that form part of this content which are nowhere near what people imagine to be very explicit sexual content, correct? Yes, definitely. And, you know, there's other aspects of it that I've seen where it's about keeping yourself healthy. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, that's not only an issue about sex. I mean, mm. it has to do with how you treat yourself, mm. how you, um, your eating habits, yeah. the exercise that you get. So it's, it's, that's why I think it's called, you know, comprehensive sex education. It's, it's intertwined with all of the different aspects of our lives um, into which sexuality also plays a role. We now know where this comes from. So Bell, Bell Pottinger type <laughs> communication strategy. We now know that. Why was it so successful? Well, I think, again, um, these organizations are well-resourced mm. and they have existing connections with South African organizations. So, for example, in the research that I did for my PhD, I found that there's an organization here in Cape Town called the Family Policy Institute. Mm -hmm. And this organization and the person who founded it um, named Errol Naidu, he and, and this organization are very much interlinked with the U.S. pro-family kind of mother body, if you want to call it mm. that, um, which is the World Congress of Families. And it recently actually relaunched itself in Cape Town as the International Organization for the Family. And they signed something called the Cape Town Declaration, mm. which is about you know, quote unquote, preserving the definition of marriage as being between a man and a woman only. And this is the building block of all civilizations across time and space, um, essentially, is their argument. Um, so I think that that linkage that the the U.S. Mm. World Congress of Families, but then also another organization called Family Watch International. So mm. sorry to be inundating you yeah, with no, all no. of these organizations. Yeah. But Family Watch International is a really key organization that is deploying the U.S. pro-family narratives globally. So they have a project, a global project, called Stop CSE. Mm. And they claim to operate in more than 70 countries. Mm -hmm. um, 
where they're circulating identical petitions. I mean, it's an absolutely identical petition. It's just the country Mm -hmm. name is replaced, Mm -hmm. right? So currently, there's definitely one circulating in Ethiopia as well as Kenya. What is the petition? Um, It's a similar petition that we have circulating here. Of course, the identical one. Mm. Um, And it's really about... Say, you know, claiming that comprehensive sex education sexualizes children, mm. it leaves them vulnerable to abuse or even child trafficking, sex trafficking, things like that. Promiscuity. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, it's, it's really trying to create enormous moral outrage. I know for myself why this is dangerous information for this country. Um, Just from the work that you've done, why it's so important for us to understand um, the network and how we got ourselves in this place in the first place. Definitely. It's really important because otherwise, you know, in in South Africa, there is this tend to exceptionalize what happens here. And it's really important in order to understand these local dynamics to see that this is actually something that is going on globally and to really start to question why. Why is it that we have a U.S. kind of movement that is trying to police sexuality the world over? Mm-hmm. And spending money Definitely. while they're doing yeah. Listen, I'd love to have your take on this because it is you who has been calling, who's been outraged, who for weeks now have been asking the department and questioning why are they doing this, why are they doing this. Does this conversation change your mind? Are you still concerned? What are the things that actually concern you about this proposed curriculum? 0891-104-207. How should South Africans engage with this now going forward? It's out it's now out. There is a pilot that the, the, the department is working on. How do ordinary South Africans get their word in? How do they participate in a way that allows us to be a bit more open about the process? I would just like to, on that note, I think it's important to remember that, um, obviously, in addition to being, you know, a deeply racist um, system, apartheid was also deeply sexually repressive. Mm. Talking about sex was not okay. It Mm. was not something that Mm. people did. It wasn't, you know, as open as it is now. So we also have to remember these taboos and stigmas around talking about sex in an open way still remain deeply entrenched. Well, I mean, it, it goes beyond that, isn't it? Because they were policing relationships, yes. not, not just sex. I yes. mean, they, were, they were policing how we relate. You and I, I couldn't sleep at your house, you couldn't sleep at my house. Yeah. As simple as that. If we were friends, we, we needed to have a curfew when our friendship ends. Yeah. That simple. Definitely, yeah. So, so how can we engage with this content now that we know the department is working on this instead of being destructive about what's been happening? You know, I think that a lot of the conversations that have been happening around this are very adultist Mm. in the sense that they're excluding children who are going to be the ones receiving the content. So why don't we talk to some kids about what do they actually want to learn? Why don't we open the lines and hear what do kids actually want to learn about um, in their life orientation curriculums and in (laughs) sex education? I mean, as you said it, I keep thinking to myself, what would I have wanted somebody to teach me? There is so much that I take for granted or at least took, well, I take for granted now that I would have loved somebody to talk me through, to walk me through. And, and maybe, you know, if we look at that way, uh, the practicalities of how do you navigate discussions around simple things, you know, your boobs growing, whatever, you know. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's take those calls, 0891 um, I am, I see somebody from KZN. I think it's Simsimang. Good afternoon, Simsimang. 
Hi, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for calling. Go ahead. Yes, yes. My name is um, Sawakim Simang. Okay, uh, I'm sorry about Kedren, that. As you've said. Yes, yes not a problem. Simang is my name. Uh, what I'm saying is, uh, you know, the, the, the sex education at school, I do not think that it's necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I think there is so much that we can gain out of it. But uh, I think my issue is that, you know, as Africans, that there are some of the things that are taboo. Mm-hmm. And they're going to remain to be taboo like that. So I think that maybe what needs to happen is some of the structures in our communities mm. that would teach children in our own African way, you understand? Yeah. For us to understand that before we, we, we can, you know, be aligned to globalization and all of those other things, but we are Africans. Mm-hmm. So that if there is anything that is inconsistent with my African name, mm-hmm. I can be able to pick it up. If that is instilled in our ch- children at an early age, it would work. Um, one more thing. Mm-hmm. I, you know what? I, 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 I think that uh, as much as it is an African to talk about these things, it, it is also important that it is taught. You understand? So let, me, let me ask because, you this before you go, because I'm, I'm worried about time. So I yes. was... I was, I mean, I had a lot of feelings. For the very first time when I attended, uh, please help me here, because I don't know whether it's called, um, but it was um, a celebration of a coming of age of a young girl. What what do you call it? Um, I, I think it's Umkosom Shanga. Possibly. And uh, it, it, in KZN, right? And when okay. I experienced this for the first time, I was in awe because yes. the sexual nature in which the songs for instance, came through the the dance and everything, and nothing about it was taboo. In other words, it was part of culture, coming mm. coming of age, and sexuality was not. Oh, you are upon. talking about something like umshonyan and all of those yes. things on umemulo. Um, oh, all right. Correct. Yes, yes, yes. So what yes. I'm saying is, we we also move away from, as you said, the center of what is mm. natural, and we start yes, yes, labeling yes. these things because we're influenced by the others. Who, who yes, want yes, us to yes. have a certain identity? What's your thought on that? Yeah, you you are very correct about that because you know it is the problem with the apartheid and colonization and also us as black people to be seen as inferior. Mm-hmm. That everything that is us it, it comes second. That is why I'm saying that it, it 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 should be a matter of in our community to have people that can teach children. You understand mm-hmm. our own African ways for us to be proud of everything so that, you know, when they go to school, they can be taught and everything, but then they can be able to relate it to mm-hmm. what is it that is me and that is African. Because the, the, the importance of teaching this at school is that there is rape now, mm-hmm. there is violence against women and children. So if we do not talk about these things, children would have it, a very difficult time being able to identify these things if they take place. I think... Being taught at school, it would definitely help. Babam Smang, thanks but so much for the time. At home. Thanks very much yes. for your time. I really appreciate it. Let's go to Utila Saku now for the latest in headlines. We'll wrap it up after that. Here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. SAFM 105 FM in Mokobane. Life, life happens with Pimelo Mutine.
So thanks very much for staying with us. I'm in conversation with Dr. Haley McEwen, who is a, a PhD in sociology, who does research and uh, coordinates research at WITS Center of Diversity Studies. Um, really, the conversation is around what seems to be propaganda around sexual education that was spread around this country by by organizations that have their origins elsewhere, particularly the U.S., um, that had these narratives that got the nation quite petrified actually about sex education and uh, I just love how you've connected the dots and are helping us to see how we need to better for instance interrogate what's been sent and communicated to us and and furthermore I think what we, we, would, we were discussing before the headlines for me the conversation perhaps we should be having as Bob Simang was saying is maybe how we integrate sex education to our own heritage that may be a more useful conversation. Definitely, because right now, in terms of kind of the moral panic that's being whipped up around mm. um, sex education, it's actually a very Victorian mm. kind of mm. ideology that's informing that, mm. that, you know, there should be no sex before marriage, you should teach abstinence only, mm. um, and, and so forth, which all have the effect of creating shame mm. and further stigma around Generally sex. Generally the shame around the woman. Yeah, Often yeah. The women's bodies is, 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 is carried by the, by the woman, not by the man. Yeah, and I think generally the act of sex itself is quite shamed mm. when you teach abstinence only um, as you as sex education. And also if we think realistically, when you tell teenagers not to do something... Of course, that's, what the, do they that's do? the one thing they want to actually do. You know, <laughs> exactly, don't, say yeah. don't, and that's exactly where I'm going. As, as I said, I mean, how, how do people then... Um, further engage the department and uh, school governing bodies and so on. Um, And also, as you said, you know, children, how do we then take this forward? Well, um, I think, you know, it's important to keep our eye on on what is happening, what's developing. um, and, And I think mainly to, you know, have a bit of literacy, media literacy when it comes to it, looking at what is being circulated yeah. and and noticing when it is trying to actually stir up mm. a kind of strong response of rejection um, from the society on a moral basis, mm. trying to look for those moments um, before we actually just believe what we're reading. I've loved talking to you. Thanks so much for coming through. Thank you so much. It's been great being here. Really appreciate it. Dr. Hayley McEwen, who has put this paper together, really arguing that the the messages that have been coming through around sex education being introduced at schools, they seemed a bit more orchestrated and traced, tried to trace back where the origins of these messages came from. And voila, yes, it seems like it was true. They were orchestrated. And really for our consumption and for us to have fear, in, in trying to introduce uh, sex education in children. I really want to hear what you think about that. 891 but that conversation will be available as a podcast too.